morning, everybody. Do a little housekeeping here real quick. Make sure I have these in order. It's only 18 pages to get through here. <laughs> so you get me this morning. Yay. So um, to kind of lay the framework for this sermon, I just give you a brief background here. This, the content for this sermon actually started coming together several months back. So in order to kind of get things started and describe this a little bit, I'm going to tell a story about Pastor Zach, which I can do because he's not here. So, so back in August, um, Jocelyn, my wife, was at summer camp, and uh, Zach and I had a very rare opportunity to meet one evening and catch up with things. Um, we're both busy with our own things and with our family, so it's pretty rare that we're able to do that. So... Uh, we were just visiting, covering everything in life between family and church and everything in between. And and uh, in a real iron sharpening iron friendship, you can say tough things to each other, right? You can give constructive criticism, and, and that's what Zach was doing. And uh, so I learned in that conversation from Pastor Zach that I have the tendency to occasionally be an Eeyore. Does everyone know who Eeyore is? So in the first service, Nate Heeg pointed out that I even dressed like Eeyore today. So. <laughs> so what do we know about Eeyore? From Winnie the Pooh. And is Eeyore uh, happy, spunky? No, the total opposite. So Zach told me I'm an Eeyore, and I was like, what? Actually, no, I was like, what? <laughs> so we just talked, at, at the moment when he mentioned that, we were actually talking about my sermons. So I've given a few sermons here. I, I love ha- having the opportunity to give sermons, but I, I have the tendency in the past to give my sermons like I speak, I have a lot of speaking opportunities in my profession, and I present data to um, different groups of people, the farmers and and other people, and um, there's only so spunky you can get when you're presenting numbers on a screen. And so I'm up here today to practice not being an Eeyore in my sermons, but, but we also talked about how I occasionally have the tendency to be an Eeyore in life in general. And so I just became very sensitive to that and in tune with that ever since that conversation in August. I've actually been carrying that with me since August. I've thought about it often since then. And I started paying attention to my interactions, and he's right. There'd be, there's a lot of times where people ask me how I'm doing, and I just bring up the same thing all the time. Oh, I'm busy. I'm tired. Got a lot of irons in the fire. Just kind of negative things. So go back to Eeyore for a second. What are his predominant characteristics or what's his most predominant characteristic? Lack of joy. So today I'm going to use one word to describe lack of joy. The The opposite of joy is misery. Misery is, is a lack of joy. So then I started um, asking myself as I went through different interactions in life. How often do my interactions reflect a lack of joy? 
Or how often do they reflect joy? How often do I gravitate toward the negative rather than the positive? And my goal today is for all of us to ask ourselves these questions. So, lucky you, this is what happens uh, when someone preaches a sermon. Whatever problems they're working on in their own life, you get to work on them as well. So, so these questions I carried with me into December when we started preparing for the season of Christmas. So actually, Pastor Zach's first sermon in December was from Isaiah 9. And one of the central themes was joy. The last sermon, last week, last sermon of the Christmas season was from Luke 2. And obviously we all know that the central theme of that is also joy. Good news of great joy. Christmas is the season of joy, in fact. But how many of us are relieved to have the Christmas season behind us? This, this The interesting thing is, so you, you think about um, on Christmas, for the Christmas service, Zach mentioned the, the um, number, 48% of people become down in the dumps and depressed at Christmas time. Why is that? It's supposed to be a time of joy. Interestingly, my oldest son, Timothy, he's nine years old. On December 26th, we sat down around the table for dinner and in our house we take turns praying he often he really likes to pray and his prayers are becoming more substantive more as he matures and that night he prayed that we all get back or that people get back on track now that Christmas is over I just thought that was really interesting for a nine-year-old to recognize that that there's something about the Christmas season that just gets people off track So now we find ourselves at this interface between Christmas, which is the end of the year, and the beginning of a new year. So we should ask ourselves at this moment, are we ending the year with joy? And are we beginning the new year with joy? So what theme could be more fitting for this pivotal moment, December 30th? We're just a couple days away from turning the calendar. What theme could be more fitting? fitting for this transition than joy. So many of you may be thinking, oh boy, just what I want to hear. Another sermon on joy. I'm sick of hearing about joy. I need to turn my phone off. Sorry about that. So you just came out of the season that's supposedly about joy, but it was anything but for you. But the thing that you need to understand is the joy that we're talking about today is a word that's been hijacked, much like the word love. So we're not talking about joy that we get from a relationship or from success or from entertainment or from materials or anything on this earth for that matter. The joy that we're talking about today is inexpressible joy that affects the way we think about all those other things. So all of the things that that the world, that we over time become conditioned to think bring us joy, they really don't bring us joy at all. And the older we get, the more we learn that. But true joy affects how we think about all those things. So when it comes to true joy, most of us fall into two camps. So when when we wake up in the morning, 
one of the camps will say, good morning, Lord. The other camp will say, good Lord, it's morning. So at the turn of the new year, we hear so much about fresh starts, resolutions. I bet you all have an opinion on New Year's resolutions, right? How many of you are willing to admit that New Year's resolutions are stupid? Or that you think they're stupid? I'm not saying that they're stupid. I will admit that I, I'm in that camp as well. But... Let me submit to you this morning that every single one of us could stand to leave here with a New Year's resolution this morning to live our life with a little more joy. So before we move forward, I'll just pray. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to close the books on 2018 and look forward to 2019. We have no idea what 2019 has in store, and we are thankful that We don't know, but we're also thankful that we can count on you being with us every step of the way. We have so many reasons for joy. Please forgive us for the times that we forget to have joy or that we choose to not have joy. This morning, I just pray that hearts will be opened at this moment to hear this message and that the message will be tailored to each individual person here, that they will hear what they need to hear about true joy. And I just pray that we will all leave here somehow motivated to live out the joy that you have showed us and that you ask us to. In your name we pray. So I guess while we're on the topic of New Year's resolutions before we move forward, what do you say we all stand up and do 25 jumping jacks? No? All right. I was just, that was my attempt to add a little more zeal to my sermon. I guess that didn't work. So I guess we'll start out by addressing the elephant in the room when it comes to the topic of joy. Life is hard. Life doesn't seem fair. You don't know my story. How can anyone have joy when they've been through this? These are all things that people think when when we talk about joy in the way that we're talking about it today. All of those things are valid, yet this applies to every one of us here. It's not too hard to notice the lack of joy, and that lack of joy is actually an epidemic across the land and in the church, unfortunately. Um, whether it's the news, whether it's social media, whether it's our interactions at work, whether it's family dynamics, lack of joy touches all of us in one way, shape, or form. Uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll said, I know of no greater need today than the need for joy, unexplainable, contagious, outrageous joy. How many of you feel that same way this morning, that we just could use more joy around us? So I'm going to unpack this in three parts. First, I'm going to talk about why we must have joy. Then I'll talk about why we do not have joy. And then I'll end with how we can obtain joy. So first, why must 
we have joy? Why does it even matter? Why can't, why can't we just leave things as they are? And that's what a lot of people would say because many people have lived with their misery, with their lack of joy for so long that they've become comfortable with it. And they're not motivated to change. But we must have joy, number one, because we're commanded to do so by God. So we will look at John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you keep my commandments, so he's talking about his commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So there's a lot there, but did you see the word joy? And the interesting thing is, is it's, it's in the same statement as when he's, him talking about his commandments. So basically what this is saying is the, the purpose behind his commandments is for us to have joy. The other interesting thing is, is this is the exact same joy that gave Jesus the power to endure the cross. So, joy is reciprocal. You see how it's like a cycle. It's through joy that Jesus overcame the cross for us. He overcame so that we could have joy. And it's the exact same joy. So I know I'm repeating that a lot, but I, I think it's very important for us to understand that the true meaning of joy is what gave him the power to endure, but he's trying to instill that joy into us. So when we have that joy, we have power to endure. So we must also have joy, number two, because our attitude is the greatest factor influencing the climate of a relationship. God takes relationships very seriously. He takes the way we influence people very seriously. That relationship, God built people for relationships. He built us to influence one another. So how seriously does God take this? We'll look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's how seriously God takes it. When we're talking about little ones here, we're not only talking about children. We're also talking about people who need Jesus. We're talking about people who are seeking Jesus. We're talking about people who have some things figured out and some people who don't have things figured out. But basically, we're talking about who Jesus wants to come to him, which is everybody. And so that is why he takes it so seriously how we influence people because if we influence people in a negative way, then we might as well have a cinder block tied around our neck. That's basically what this is saying. We've all heard the saying, misery loves company, right? This is a true statement. Not only do negative people gravitate toward negative people, they create more negative people. That's how it works. 
They want to create a climate of negativity to live in so they can be comfortable there and just remain in it and sulk in it. And that's why people are not motivated to move out of their lack of joy. They become comfortable in their negative environment. How about the other saying, the power of positivity? Well, that's also true. Proverbs 17, verse 22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. A joyful heart, joy, is good medicine. So when you express joy, you're actually... You have the power to make people better. You have the power to change people. So do you want to breathe life into people? Or do you want to sap it out of them? We must, third, third, we must have joy because Jesus did. And we're all called to be like Jesus. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're supposed to imitate God. We're supposed to be like Jesus to people. We may be the people's only exposure to Jesus. Does your attitude give off a fragrant aroma? Or does your attitude stink? So we must have joy because we're commanded to, because we influence people, and because we are to emulate Jesus. So we've established that. Now let's talk about why we don't have joy. So popular opinion says we don't have joy because life just doesn't seem fair. Popular opinion says we don't have joy because life is hard or because people experience misfortune. But the thing that people don't understand, the thing that popular opinion ignores is that these are all external factors that have nothing to do with the true joy that we're talking about today. The fact is joy doesn't come natural to us. Joy takes practice. Joy is counter-cultural. So we live in a fallen world. When we left unchecked, if we just leave things go the way they are, we become a product of our environment, which is not good for us if we live in a fallen world. If we live in a sinful, messed up, cruel world, and we just allow ourselves to go with the flow, we start to look just like the world which is not good. No wonder why people don't feel good about things and why people are down in the dumps and why we have a natural tendency to just become negative. So we develop a natural proclivity toward negativity. And that's why we often hear that joy is a choice because it doesn't just happen. So life happens... And we get stuck in a rut. And then we get so disgusted with where we're at. No one wants to be in a rut. No one really wakes up and decides, I'm going to get stuck in a rut and I'm going to just stay there forever. 
but it happens. And then we get so disgusted with where we're at in life that we don't want to hear anything about joy. And then we choose to address our disgust by resenting joy. And furthermore, resenting anyone who has joy. So, I'm going to put my wife on the spot for a minute. Everyone knows my wife, Jocelyn. In fact, I am not known as Jason. I am known as Jocelyn's husband. Most places that I go. So we've been together for between 13 and 14 years now. And what really drew me to my wife more than anything from the start was her joy. She had a joy that I just wasn't used to. It's an inexpressible, indescribable joy. And it was a joy that, because I wasn't used to, it, I think it convicted me. It made me want to be a different person. Her joy to me was like intoxicating. It changed me. But would you believe that I've known people in our 13 to 14 years together who didn't really care for my wife? And it was for that very reason, because she has a joy that rubs people the wrong way when they are very comfortable with living in misery. And that's what happens And that's actually how toxic misery can be because it makes us hate good things. Joy is actually the antidote to misery. If you're living in misery and you're sick of it, choose joy or hang out with joyful people. And that's actually, that's the irony of it all is people begin to resent joyful people because they're not joyful And really what they need the most is to hang out with joyful people because we just read that joy is good medicine. But if we don't choose joy, we're in effect choosing to live in misery. We basically just wind up in living with misery. So misery is made evident in people through all the telltale signs of a bad attitude. And we could rattle off a list together here of all those telltale signs, complaining, sarcasm, gossip, anger. So what do all those things, those telltale signs of a bad attitude, what do they really indicate about us? We'll go to Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So, when our hearts are far from God, it's because our hearts are full of the wrong stuff. When our hearts are filled with God, there's no place for misery to camp out. So, are, are you intentional about filling your hearts with good stuff? Are you intentional about filling your hearts with Jesus? We know how to do it. We hear it all the time. The Word. The Word is so accessible to us. There's, we can have a Bible in every room of the house. You can have the Bible in your pocket all the time. Prayer. You can pray anywhere. Fellowship with other people. Fellowship with believers. Find some joyful believers. 
But are you intentional about using these resources that we have available to us to fill your heart with Jesus? Do you want joy? Fill your heart with Jesus. I don't know who, who this quote is from, but I really like it. Joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. Isn't that awesome? Joy is a flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. Joy pretty much tells the world that we have Jesus in our heart. And a lot of us who have Jesus in our heart, when we choose to camp out in negativity and express negativity toward others, what message is that sending? The total opposite. What does it say about us when we embody a negative attitude day after day? We really need to be aware of the message that we're sending. So we've talked about why we must have joy and why we don't have joy. So now we'll end with how we can obtain joy. So we already said it. Joy comes from filling our hearts with the right stuff. Joy comes from Jesus. So many of us already know this. I know that this, in a way this is preaching to the choir. It, we probably didn't need a sermon to discover this. But do we really know it? That's the question. Walking the walk in terms of joy boils down to a matter of perspective. So we're going to talk a little bit about proper perspective, having perspective when it comes to joy. You can open up to pretty much any page in the New Testament. You cannot walk through the New Testament without stepping on a reason to have joy. It is everywhere. I'm going to do a real quick blitz through the New Testament, and you guys can practice this on your own too, but you open up to almost anywhere. Romans 10 says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The Lord bestows his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on him will be saved. 2 Corinthians says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John says, I am writing these things to you so you don't sin. But if you happen to sin, we have an advocate with the Father. How awesome is that? It's saying don't sin. But if you trip up, don't worry about it. You have an advocate. Why do we complicate this so bad? That is awesome. Romans 8 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. More than conquerors. Who wants to be a conqueror in life? We have reason for joy. That is the point. It is very clear in the word. We are abundantly blessed by the Father. And we have reason to live with joy. It doesn't matter how screwed up we are, how bad of things we've done, how messed up our life is, or how much guilt we're carrying with us. It doesn't matter. He'll take it all away, out of us, leaving space for what? Joy. 
so we can flag or we can fly the flag of joy confidently we can embody a pleasant attitude one that people want to be around one that has a positive influence on people that's what the world needs so this begs the question does this mean that we are supposed to fake it until we make it? Are we supposed to just put up a front when things aren't going so well? Is it genuine to constantly express joy? Those are good questions. But when we get hung up on those, what we're failing to recognize is when we choose joy, true joy, we change our perspective. We'll look at Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Seems like a fairly insignificant, not earth-shattering uh, passage, right? It's, but it's interesting when you dissect it a little bit. So this is written by Paul. It's the only place in the New Testament or possibly in all of Scripture where you're given a command that is repeated back to back. So Paul obviously feels very strongly about rejoicing in the Lord when he says it twice. The other interesting thing is, is to understand what the word rejoice actually means. Rejoice is a variation of the word joy, which basically means expressing joy in a way that points to the source of joy. So when you rejoice, you are expressing joy that gives the glory to God. So Paul feels very strongly about us rejoicing because it gives glory to God. But maybe the most interesting part of this quote is, is when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. So here's a guy who is in, we, we probably can't even imagine what it was like for someone to be in prison in those days. And this is Paul. This is a guy who, there were a lot of people who had it out for him. And he is from that prison cell telling us to rejoice. And he is saying it in a very matter-of-fact way. He strongly believes in this. Perhaps the greatest evangelistic tool of all is the expression of joy. I think that is what the point of this quote by Paul is. More than anything else we can do, probably the best thing we can do to point people to Jesus and to get people to know him and to rejoice is to express joy in our daily interactions. We'll also look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when we choose joy, that, that's an awesome verse, by the way, that I think everyone should have posted somewhere in their house or at the very least posted somewhere in your skull. 
to remember because I guarantee you the second you walk out the door today, you'll face some sort of trial. Trials are a promise. We hear about it so often in Scripture that we know trials are just going to be a, they're a fact of life. They will always be there. There are some trials that are harder than others. But this is talking about trials of various kinds. So that means real bad ones, not so real bad ones, really, really bad ones. This is all kinds of trials. But what this is saying is count it joy when you experience those trials because of what they do. You become perfect and complete and you lack nothing because of those trials. So when we choose joy, we're not devastated by trials. We're actually invigorated by them. Some of the most positively influential people who are currently living on earth are people who have lost it all or are facing death or something really bad like that. Isn't that interesting? That's something that we always know. Even people who don't go to church and all they do is watch the news, even they recognize that. Why is it someone who is dying, who is facing death, or someone who lost everything, why, why do they have joy? Why are they positively influential when people who have everything are miserable? It's because their perspective changed because of the trials that they went through. They had no choice but to change their perspective. So how are we influencing people? What impact are we having on people? Are we bringing a sweet aroma? Or are we adding to the stench? Are we breathing life? Or are we sapping it out of people? Living with joy takes practice. But we were made for joy. So we, we really ought to practice it. And I didn't really, I have one other point that I want to share, and I didn't know how exactly I was going to fit it in. It's a little bit random, but I came across it, and I thought it was too good not to share. So I'll end with this last point. Continuing with the theme of joy and perspective, we, we discussed the fact that it's countercultural. It's not always well-received because the world doesn't get it and the world becomes envious. But does that mean because the world is envious and because it maybe rubs people the wrong way, does that mean we should resort to the world's ways? Think about, just think about your own life, for example, whether it's in your family dynamics or in a work setting. If joy rubs people the wrong way, should we tone it down just to, to avoid rubbing people the wrong way. Well, let's look at Romans 11, chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. This is Paul saying, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. That's really interesting. So people didn't understand Paul. They resented him because he had something that they didn't. But their jealousy spurred them to find the source of what Paul had. And the people were led to Christ because of that. 
So we can do the same thing today if we choose joy. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to learn about what your word says about joy. And the topic is received differently by everyone according to where they're at in life. But the the bottom line is, is you call us to have joy and you built us to live with joy. And we just ask that you forgive us for the times that we have not done that. Help us to just repent of that and help us to receive the true joy that you designed us for, that the world is looking for, and help us to be effective with our joy. Help us to have proper perspective about trials and help us to face those trials with joy. We just thank you as we look forward to 2019 that we have an opportunity to start in a few days with a clean slate and that we can move forward with the goal of displaying more joy than we have before. And and we just thank you that we can count on you being with us every step of the way. In your name we pray. Amen.